All right. I feel the love. Dude, this guy, this guy, seriously. I don't know if you guys heard that in the family room next door, but um, anyways, Josh, man, that's, uh, that's funny. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, uh, <laughs> I don't even know what to say now. All right. Well, good to see you guys. Like Josh said, my name's Doug, and it is just an awesome privilege to be here with you this morning. Um, I have the, uh, just such a cool thing that I get to do. I get to work with students here at Lakeside, and so I'm normally over in the other building on Saturday night. We have our middle school and high school that gathers over there, and I'm actually, usually on Sunday morning, my wife and I, we go to the family room, and so we're usually over there, so it's kind of a treat to be over here with you guys, and I want to welcome the family room Super good to see you guys. I don't see you, but I see you. Yes, you're here. Anyways, welcome. And um, I wanted to share just a few things that are happening, that's happening right now with our student ministries. I don't know if you guys heard, but in our middle school ministry and in our high school ministry, we actually have more kids in small groups than we've ever had before, which is pretty sweet. So that's like Gab, guys groups, our encounter small groups. We have tons of leaders and it's just phenomenal, and just my hat is off to um, Donna Pepper, who leads our Gab ministry, and Kevin, and the work he's doing with the guys group in middle school, and uh, Rachel Blackburn, one of our protégés, heads up our um, high school small groups, and just does a phenomenal job. So we have a video uh, just showing you a little bit more about what's happening, so let's check that out. At small groups, we all meet together with girls or guys that are your age and you talk about like a lesson plan and my group personally we do little life updates so we can get to know what's going on in the lives of our girls. <laughs> we talk to each other and listen to Kevin speak and build stuff and destroy it. I like that we can talk about anything and know that it's not going to be like put out. My favorite part about Gab is just getting to hang out with everybody in a really fun environment. And it's like a protected environment, so you feel safe in it. We've all become a family through it, and all the girls in my small group have become like sisters to me, and we're all super close and can trust one another. I feel like I have like an open community of guys like around me, and I feel like I wanna, I, w- I just wanna like grab and pull other people in so they can experience it too. I just really want them to, um, to get like introduced to God more and like hang out with their other friends. It's affected my life by giving me a huge group of people that I can rely on and talk to, basically. Small Groups has given me a community of people to trust and to talk to whenever I need to. I know I can always turn to them whenever I need something or whenever I need someone to talk to. It's pretty cool, huh? It's pretty awesome. So if you're here and you have a high schooler or a middle schooler and you'd love to get them connected, grab any one of us that are wearing these spiffy uh, student ministry shirts, and we'd love to talk to you more about that and how to get your student connected. Um, Another thing that's happening that we're really pumped about is for the past couple years, we have not had a college young adult ministry until this year. We actually just launched um, a few months ago our college young adults ministry, and they meet on Monday nights, and it's a growing group. And so if you have an 18-year-old or post-high school to I don't know, kind of whatever, like that 20 age, somewhere in there. This is a great group for them to get connected in. And we have a little video we wanted to show you about that group. I remember when they took me. I never saw them. I never heard them. All I know is that I went to bed safe and sound. And when I awoke, 
land. I was exhausted, starving, but just as I thought all hope was lost, I was rescued. They took us into their sanctuary. I got to have a safe community with others that had been taken just like me, and there was food. So much food. It's not easy being an adult. But Lakeside's young adult group makes the journey far more bearable. <laughs> yeah, Kodiak Miller put that together. There's food, so much food. I love that. It's awesome. Well, hey, let's, uh, let's pray and we'll hop in today. Let's pray. <clears throat> God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for just bringing us here um, God, I know for many of us, we walk in the door and there are so many things that we're happy about, excited for, uh, things that are happening in our lives. And there's also, we walk in this morning, some of us, and just feel a sense of like, we need to hear from you. We need to encounter you. We need to look into your word and just, we need to know what you have to say to us and what you think about us. And God, I just pray that as we look into this book of Romans today and continue our series, that, that our time is helpful and that we hear from you and that you would just show us what we need to see. God, thanks for this time and thanks for your love. In your name we pray. Amen. So over, um, over the past year, we've been taking on the book of Romans. And for this whole year, we've taken the book of Romans in chunks and when I first heard that we were doing this series, I was just excited for us as a church because I really think the book of Romans is just a remarkable book. I mean, every book in the Bible matters, but there's something special about this book. I had a uh, professor in college um, or in seminary who used to say the book of Romans is almost like the Mount Everest of theology books. Like, there's other books in the Bible that are peaks, but there's something, you get to this book of Romans, and it's like, it just overshadows so much. And it's really amazing, because Paul takes his time. He takes 16 chapters, and he starts with creation, and the fall, and how we're all broken, and then the nation of Israel, and how they got the law, and the prophets, and it all culminates in Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, Really, Paul just takes 16 chapters in this book and tells us the gospel. And it is, in a word, an epic book. And you know, I think this book is um, its incredibly relevant to the times we live in, I think. Because we live in some remarkable times. I, I mean, is it just me, or does it seem like the world has gotten a little bit crazier? Would you guys agree? Like, I remember going through college, and I, I just, I guess in college, I didn't really pay attention to politics. I'm kind of wrapped up in my own life. But then I graduated, and I, I remember, you know, the election in 2008 and in 2012. And then this year, it just seems like the wheels have come off. Like, it's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Stuff is like, 
Like, what is happening, like, in our country and in our world? Like, this stuff is unraveling. And then I also think about being a, a youth pastor. I get this uh, front row seat to teenage land and uh, families, and I really believe that being a teenager today is the hardest that it's ever been. Like, if you're a teenager in this room or if you're in the family room, my heart goes out to you because there are some challenges today facing our teenagers. I mean, when I was in high school and I would do something dumb, nobody would videotape that on their cell phone, right? <laughs> like, it would not appear on social media. Or if I, you know, lost control and said something, I mean, that, would, that wasn't texted out to the world. I mean, it's just there are some challenges facing our students. And I look at this, and I look at the unstable times, and, and we all feel it. And I think the book of Romans is an answer to the times that we're in. This book is filled with hope, and it goes in the face of our bad news world that we live in. And we called the series Splash, and um, this book has made a huge splash throughout history. And uh, I'm sort of a history uh, geek. I totally love anybody like History Channel? I'm not alone. Okay, I totally nerd out on this stuff. But um, there have been so many famous people throughout history who have lived in chaos, lived with struggles and pain, and they went back to their Bibles and started reading and digging in, in particular, this book, and it changed everything for them. The first person I want to share with you guys is a guy named St. Augustine, and um, you may remember him if you grew up going to Catholic church or catechism. He's talked about a lot. One of the greatest Christian thinkers in the history of the world. I mean, an amazing guy, and he wrote a book called The Confessions, where he outlines his faith journey, his failures, his brokenness. I mean, it's a remarkable book. And in the story, he talks about a time when he was overwhelmed with his own brokenness. He was in this garden in the town of Milan, and he was so broken. I mean, by most accounts, he was a, I think, a sex addict. I mean, he had just this, like, crazy past, a wake of broken relationships and just disaster swirling all around him. And he was so overrun with that. He's in this garden, and he's crying and weeping and praying, and then all of a sudden, he hears in a distance a a child saying, take up and read, take up and read. And then he did what many of us do. He reached down and grabbed his Bible, or it was actually a scroll, the book of Romans, and he closed his eyes, and he opened it up, and he put his finger down, and we've we've done that, right? And what do you know? He put his his finger down on the passage in Romans, Romans chapter 13, verse 13, which says, let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy, but rather clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. And in this book, he, he says when he read those words, it was like the lights went on, like the gospel broke into his life. He felt freedom from his past. I mean, he was a transformed person. He was transformed by reading his Bible. There's another character. You, you may have heard of him. His name's Martin Luther, and uh, he had a similar experience. He was an extremely religious man. He was a monk. And he was on this constant quest to make himself right with God. And much of this was probably driven by the broken relationship he had with his father. And um, he once wrote, 
If anyone could have earned heaven by the life of a monk, it was I. I mean, this guy was like super monk. He was on this, like, I got to get myself right. I got to figure out how God is going to like me, and I will do everything I can. And there's all these stories about him doing all kinds of crazy stuff to try to get his sin problem dealt with. Until eventually, he was commissioned to start teaching and preaching through the book of Romans. And as he came, as he was working through the book, he got to Romans chapter 1, verse 17, and that famous verse, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. He would later write, at last, meditating day and night by the mercy of God, I began to understand that the righteousness of God is that through which the righteous live by a gift of God, namely by faith. Here I felt as if I were entirely born again. Here we have a guy broken. He went back to start reading his Bible, and it transformed him, transformed his life. Another person, uh, last, last century, his name was Karl Barth, and uh, he had a similar experience, and he was a, uh, a small-time pastor in uh, Switzerland, and he was living in a time where liberalism was like on the rise and liberal teaching was everywhere in the church. And he was growing disillusioned with what he was hearing. He was also growing disillusioned with the fact that the church was hopping on board with the political agenda of the time. And all these church pastors were getting on board with World War I and what was happening. And he just thought, something's not right here. Like this is not what we're called to. This is not who we're supposed to be. And so what he did was he went back to the book of Romans, started reading, thinking, and eventually in the summer of 1916, he wrote his commentary on the book. And this commentary would go on to actually change the theological landscape. One theologian would say it was like a bomb went off on the theological stage, changed everything. And all of these men, they faced a bad news world, not too different from what we face. They experienced the hurt, the division, the sense of loss, the pain, and they were transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ as revealed through this book. And so my hope for telling you all this is to encourage you to let us go back and relook at what this book is all about. And this morning, we're going to actually, we're coming near, we're nearing the end. We're in chapter 14 through 15. We still have a couple more weeks left, but we're, we're coming to the close of this book. And it's amazing what Paul does in these last two chapters. Brad shared a, a couple weeks ago that the church in Rome, this church that Paul was writing this letter to, was a church divided. So this church was made up of Jewish believers and non-Jewish believers, so they each were coming to church and coming to the table with their own set of baggage, their own set of like, this is the way the world is, this is the way that we should be. Now we have Jesus, but we still have these things that we need to do. And there was a lot of conflict swirling around this church. And so Paul writes this letter, and these two chapters in particular, to some very practical issues that were happening in this church. So let's dive in. So if you have your Bibles or your smartphones, we're going to be in Romans chapter 14, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. In our Lakeside Bibles, I think it's page 790. This is what it says. It says, Accept the one whose faith is weak, without quarreling over disputable manners. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, 
but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord. For they give thanks to God, and whoever abstains does so to the Lord. It gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. It's an amazing passage of scripture. I mean, Paul was a brilliant writer. And not only was he a brilliant writer, but he was brilliant at coming at problems that were happening in the different churches. And in this particular church, these, these church people, they wanted Paul to rule. They wanted Paul to sit in and say, they wanted Paul to hand out a pass-fail in the church. They wanted Paul to say, okay, you guys are right, and you guys are wrong, so you people that are wrong, you need to change and be like the people that are right. And notice how Paul doesn't do that. Paul doesn't do that at all. In fact, he doesn't even answer their question. We didn't really get to hear their question. We only are hearing Paul's response. But he's saying, hey, guys, some of you think the kosher laws still matter. That's okay. And some of you guys think it doesn't matter. That's okay. But in your thinking, in your opinions, do not hurt each other. Do not tear each other down. Do not use your opinions to judge and condemn one another. amazing. And uh, for us today, you know, Lakeside, how many of you guys are sweating someone in here in the church that are eating meat sacrificed to idols? Anybody? No, probably not, right? It's not, this isn't like our issue. This isn't our issue today. But I wonder if we still do this kind of stuff. I wonder if we do that when we take our opinions or our upbringing or, or our preferences and we put them up at a level where we're starting to hand out like, how do you call yourself a Christian if you don't think the way I think? Like, how do you hold that opinion and come here to Lakeside? Like, that cannot be. What matters of opinion do we love to judge other people on? We ask, like, how could they stand or how could they call themselves a Christian if they, if they hold that kind of political position? Or how, how could they call themselves a Christian and parent their kids that way? Like, what's wrong with them? Don't they know that, like, I parent right and you need to parent the way I do? Or how, can they, how could that be right in how they spend their money or how they have fun or how they use their time? Or, or how many of us, when we look out on the social media landscape on Facebook or Instagram and we, we start catching ourselves judging other people's faith? And, we, and we're, we're not too different than these early Christians who look out and we think, oh, man, they must be wrong. And I must be right. 
one of the things Paul says in here that I just find so amazing is Paul says that God has the power to make our weaker brother and sister stand. God has the power to make those of us that are weaker in faith stand. Therefore, if we are strong, if we think that we're connected to God tightly, we have an obligation to come be beside these weaker brothers and hold them up. Paul goes on in verse 13. He continues his, what he's saying. He says, therefore, because of all this, everything he just said, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to judge or make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or a sister. This is amazing. When I read this passage, I, I thought back to um, a drill in football. I, I grew up playing football. I love football and um, got to play a little bit in college. And we used to do this drill called the hoop drill. And it was for defensive linemen, and it was designed to teach them to pass rush and to be uh, effective at getting to the quarterback. And so we'd put these two hoops out, we'd line up all the guys over there, and the coach would put two guys in the middle, and he would give each of these guys a huge bag. And their job, was, as the defensive lineman runs around the hoop, was to hit them as hard as they can. Like, their goal was to knock them down, trip them, hit them in the knees, hit them in the helmet, like, do anything they can to mess them up. And the whole goal is to simulate what it's like in a game when you got an O-lineman holding you and cheating and doing all kinds of terrible things that O-linemen do. So um, I was thinking about that drill, and, and we used to just swing at each other. I mean, doing everything we can to knock each other down. And I wonder if, like, that drill is kind of like what we do in the church sometimes, Right? We come up to each other and we swing hard and we try to knock each other down. And it's not what we're called to do. Paul says we need to decide. He says here, may we decide to not put a stumbling block in front of a weaker brother or sister. We need to decide to make it easier on our weaker brother and sister, easier on the people that are trying to grow up in their faith and are struggling and are starting from a different place than we are. Paul goes even further in verse 15. He says, if your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. He says, this is amazing, he says, do not destroy by your eating someone for whom Christ died. It's amazing. Paul's telling this church and he's telling us that the people that we judge and come down on and say, they can't be right, like God must be angry, like those are people that Paul would say, for whom Christ died. Karl Barth wrote about this passage. He said, Christ died for him, and I eat against him. He goes on to write that what I'm doing, no matter how right it may be, it is my great wrong because I destroy a person for whom Christ died. He says, I have put myself on God's throne and myself am preparing stumbling blocks and occasions of falling for my brother. At that moment, all my faith and freedom is gone and all my knowledge is as though I knew nothing. Wow. Paul says we are not 
to use our preferences or our opinions or the things, the secondary issues as weapons to hurt our brother or sister because that person is a person for whom Christ died. In this church, this church in Rome, there were people in the church that had these deep commitments. And these commitments were being used as weapons. They were, they were seen by them as trumping their brothers and sisters. And what Paul's saying here is we need to be willing to let go sometimes of those personal commitments, those commitments that are not essential issues, they're secondary issues. But we need to be willing to let those go for the unity of the church, for the strengthening of the weaker brothers and sisters. Paul goes on in chapter 15. He says, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through, through the endurance taught in Scripture and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. And then he says something that's just so profound. He says, we are to accept one another just as Christ accepted you. He says, accept one another just as Christ accepted you. I don't know about you, but when I look back on my life and I look back at when Christ accepted me, at that moment, it wasn't because I was doing something really good and God looked at me and said, hey, I think our team would benefit from having you on our, our team, so why don't you join me, right? I mean, if we think back to our journey of faith, like when did Jesus really become real to you or when did you really feel drawn? Was it at a moment of strength or a moment of weakness, And what we discover in the scriptures is that Jesus picks the weak people. He picks them. And earlier in the book of Romans, it says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Like on our worst day, Christ died for us. On our weakest day, in our weakest moment, he welcomed us. He accepted us. He invited us in. And Paul, nearing the end of this book, says, hey, remember that. Remember Accept others the way Jesus first accepted you. This is something to ponder as we live in crazy times, divisive times, times where everything is so charged, everything is so angry, everything is so um, stirred up. We are to welcome others the way Christ welcomed us. I want to ask a couple questions this morning, just things to think about. Who is your weaker brother or sister? If you were to think about your life right now, like who in my life is my weaker brother or my weaker sister? Like who do I look at and I think, you know what? Their theology is just out in left field. Like they are missing it. Like they really need to talk to me more because I could help them out and I could show them where they're wrong and I could give them scripture. I I could help them out. I mean, who is your weaker brother? Who do you look at right now and and you look at how they spend their money and you're like, what is wrong with them? Have they heard of Dave Ramsey? Like, seriously, they need to like get it together. Like they're a grown up and look at what they're doing, right? 
Or we look at someone and how they, they use their time or how they uh, set up their family life or how they parent their kids. And there's just like this sense of like, man, they are weak. Who is that person in your life? Might be a family member. Might be a, maybe one of your, your children. Maybe somebody you work with. Maybe, maybe yourself. Who is that weaker brother or sister in your life? And then the question that Paul would ask us is, what would it mean to walk in love with that person? Like, what would it look like to walk in love with them? Like, what would we say to them? What would we, how would we pray for them? How would we uh, support them? How would we pursue them? How would we, what does it mean to walk in love with that person? And the truth is, and we all know this, that all of us are, are really the weaker brother. I mean, all of us are just a phone call away, a mistake away, a moment away from our life just kind of unraveling. And there's something about following Jesus. And as he starts to craft our life, we start to discover super quick that we all are weak. We all, every moment of every day, we are in desperate need of his help, his healing, his comfort, his words of encouragement. And as we start to know that, as we start to feel that, it's like, whoa, I'm weak. Therefore, how much more can I help my weaker brother or sister? Another question I want to ask, and this this might even be a little more personal, is um, what personal commitments are you willing to give up to help someone else who is struggling? See, for this church... Paul was asking them to give up some of their preferences for the betterment of someone else. And that's painful. Because for some of them, it's like, dude, don't start criticizing what I'm eating. I like what I eat. I've eaten my whole life. I'm a full-time eater. And don't start messing with that. And Paul says, hey, there's something bigger here. Would you be willing to change some stuff? Would you be willing to let go of some personal commitments because we're about strengthening each other. We're about coming together. You guys hear that rain? Yeah. Woo, it's awesome. Isn't that great? Woo! What are the things that are not a, non-essential, things that we could give up, and maybe God is calling us to, so that we can help our brothers and sisters? What would it mean for us to welcome others the way Christ has welcomed us? On August 22nd, um, Michelle and I, we actually just welcomed our first baby, um, Lucy May Rausch. And we have a picture here. And, um, dude, it is awesome. And, um, <laughs> right? Seriously. And I was thinking, you know, about a year ago, we had no idea we were going to have a baby. Like, we didn't even know if we could have kids. We, we tried for years, and it just you know, never, never really happened. And, um, and now we have this little girl and, um, it is, it's unreal. Like, and for you parents, you know what that feels like. And, um, I, you know, I hold her and I look at her and I just think like there's, and I know it's really easy now to think this, but like, there's nothing that she could do that would make me not love and accept her. Like, I just, I'm committed. I am in for this little girl. 
And I get it. She's going to grow up. I, I work with teenagers. I see what happens. I, 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 I somehow, I know I don't get it, but I like to think I get it. I probably don't. But I know there's going to be some hard stuff ahead. And I know there's going to be moments where she's going to hurt me, hurt Michelle, hurt herself. And, but I just cannot imagine looking at her or having a moment where I'm just like, I'm done with you. Like, that's it. I'm done with you. I just cannot imagine that. And for you parents, you know what that's like, where there's just, there's something about it. It's just this draw that it's, you're never going to stop welcoming them. You're never going to stop welcoming them. And as we think about that, think about how God feels about you and I. Think about how God feels about us. There's not a moment in your life where he would look at you and say, I'm done with you. Too much. You've crossed the line one too many times. Too much. He doesn't do that. And he doesn't do that for us. And he doesn't do it for our weaker brother. He doesn't do it for the person that we don't like, the person that makes us uncomfortable, the person that bothers us, the person we're jealous of. He welcomes them just like he welcomed us. And guys, just imagine what could happen if we started doing this. Like if we really let the scripture start to just, just get into our souls and we started like, oh wait, it's not about me being right. It's about us being together. It's about us getting behind each other and holding each other up and praying for each other and walking with each other and figuring out how to love on each other. I mean, imagine what could happen. Imagine what could happen in our nation. Imagine what could happen in our country, our, our church, our community, in your family. I mean, what could happen if we started to welcome others in a similar, if not the same way, Christ welcomed us? What would that look like? Will you pray with me? Oh, Lord, help us, God. I, um, this scripture is, it's a tall order, and I feel super inadequate, as do many of us. We have a lot of things that are, we're holding on to, and they're things that you might call us to let go of. And God, I pray that you help us. I pray that you help us today. I, I know a room of this size and the family room, there's, there's things that we are troubled by, and we don't know what to do, and divisions we see, and God, make us peacemakers. Make us agents of your grace. May we pursue each other, pursue our enemies, pursue the people that are hard for us, pursue spouses, pursue our kids, and may we welcome others the way you have unconditionally welcomed us. Jesus, we love you and we need you every day. Amen.